Hello, crime lovers, and welcome to Crime on Tap. I'm Megan, joined by my co-host, Sean. And welcome to our true crime podcast. Join us weekly as we drink our favorite cocktails and discuss gruesome murders, kidnappings, conspiracies, and more. Share the podcast with your friends, family, and heck, your grandma. Leave a review and make sure to follow us on all social media platforms at Crime on Tap Pod. Tune in for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Whether you're driving to work or doing laundry, Crime on Tap will be sure to fulfill your true crime fix each week. And now, buckle up for this week's episode. Listen and enjoy. Hello, Sean. Megan, we are back again. (laughs) What are we doing here? I don't think we deserve this platform. (laughs) We have some loyal listeners, so thank you guys for listening. It's so Mm -hmm. much fun for us, but it's just icing on the cake to know that people are actually listening to us ramble on about true crime (laughs) and conspiracies. And it's very interesting looking at the numbers and seeing that part two of Chris Watts has more listeners than part one. So who's out there listening to part two? and not listening to part one (laughs) you don't have the full story hon (laughs) i know like go back and listen to part one you don't know what's going on (laughs) but guys we are so Mm -hmm. thankful you are here today with us we have quite a doozy for you guys today this is no whodunit this is no conspiracy we know who did it and it is a gruesome gruesome murder as it's known a diabolical stew of human remains Mm -hmm. so let that sit with you for a moment and (laughs) understand what you're getting yourself into yes so megan it is thursday at 11 Mm a.m this is the best time for us this week to record the podcast so we got to do what we got to do and one of the specialties on our podcast is that we also drink so what are you drinking on this lovely 11 a.m on a thursday i'm drinking a mimosa oh classic (laughs) it's not champagne of course because that's expensive it's sparkling wine oh okay barefoot bottom shelf and some (laughs) hand brand orange juice Mm -hmm. but still tastes delicious (laughs) (laughs) i mean you really can't beat a mimosa and honestly when was the last time you had a mimosa in the current times that we're in oh gosh i think like a brunch of celebrating something i don't even know i'm not in forever because that's definitely a special drink yeah it is it's like after the night out then you go out for mimosas and you just get fucked up again (laughs) yeah what do they call that the the hair of the dog that bitch you you know (laughs) i've never heard that actually yeah well it's like well you're hungover how do you fix a hangover oh you You drink drink more yeah Yeah. (laughs) the hair of the dog that bit you Well, today I don't have a mimosa because I didn't have anything sparkling. So I just have a nice glass of red wine, which in my opinion, red wine fucks you up faster. I don't know mm. why, but like two glasses of red wine and it's like, I'm done for the day. This is a nice red wine. It doesn't even have a name. It's not even like a Merlot or like anything. It's just red wine. <laughs> It just says a mixture of red wine and it was on the Clarence section at the liquor and wine store. So you can't pass up a deal on red wine. No. And honestly, I don't know if it's because I'm poor, but it all tastes the same to me. It really does. Like, honestly, like, we're too novice to know much about wine. So, like, if you give me, like, a $100 wine and a $10 bottle of wine, I probably am going to say the $10 one tastes better than the $100 one. Mm-hmm. I also just have cheap taste, too. Like, <laughs> I grew up on cheap hot dogs, Spam, and Kraft macaroni and cheese. So... <laughs> 
I can relate to that. So we thank you guys for being here with us today. Be sure to follow us on our social media platforms. Platform, I should say, because we're only on Instagram. <laughs> but be sure to follow us over there on Crime on Tap Pod. If you guys are listening to us on any of the major listening platforms, just know that there are other listening platforms out there. So if your family and friends want to listen to us as well, they can listen to us on any of those major platforms. Let's all take a sip and get right into the episode. Woo! Cheers! Cheers, Clay. <laughs> So welcome to this week's episode. This week we have quite a doozy. So if you're in for some gruesome, gruesome dismembering of limbs, (laughs) family murders, you've come to the right podcast. (laughs) So today we are talking about, and I want to just say it is the Joel and Lisa guy murders. We don't want to give any recognition to the guy himself. (laughs) So we are naming this the Joel and Lisa guy murders. They are the victims in this case. So we're going to give them the limelight mm-hmm. so basically we're just going to give you guys the full story of what happened here and then we're going to go into the background of the case later on the case starts we are located in knoxville county tennessee where we have our prime suspect joel guy jr he is 28 years old and he is found guilty of killing and dismembering his parents' bodies joel guy senior and lisa guy the weekend after thanksgiving mm-hmm. and we're not even going to have the illusion it was anyone else it was very clearly him he had a whole manifesto of what he was going to do to his parents how he was going to dispose of the bodies frame his father and this was all over money now mm-hmm. lisa and joel senior they really enabled him i'm just gonna go out and say it they paid completely for his apartment in baton rouge louisiana he didn't have a job lisa pretty much was still working in order to just hand over his paycheck to him but the deadline of taking care of him finally financially was at Christmas because Lisa and Joel Guy were going to retire and downsize and go to Hawkins County, Tennessee in a small town. They decided that he needed to live on his own. He needed to work it out. And that terrified Joel Jr. And (laughs) he decided the only way that he could move forward and live the life he wanted was to kill his parents and get their money. Yeah. So this was a case all about money. Premeditated intentional killings over money. Let's also inform you guys that Joel Jr., the man who killed his parents, was 28 years old, and he was fully supported by his parents. They paid for his apartment, they paid for his schooling, they paid for his food, they literally supported him and paid for everything for him. He was 28 years old. Megan, we are 25 and 26, and we fully Mm -hmm. live on our own. Our parents don't support us in any way. Um, No. (laughs) Trust me. (laughs) No, I get birthday money and Christmas money, and that's it. (laughs) Right? So, to see that this man was 28 years old, and being supported fully by his parents. You know, there is some fault on his parents for enabling him, Mm -hmm. but there's no excuse for what he did. (laughs) Also, you guys should know that Joel Guy Jr., he was 28, yes, and he went to one year of George Washington University. He dropped out, and he was currently going to school at LSU, where he was training, in quotation air quotes, to be a plastic surgeon. Basically, what he did was kill and dismember his parents. So was he... Was he training to be a plastic surgeon by (laughs) killing his parents and dismembering their bodies? Was that like all training part of the job? (laughs) Well, it makes me think that he probably used some of the knowledge because I'm sure you have to know about anatomy and body and everything. He probably Mm -hmm. used some of that knowledge to dismember and dispose of the bodies. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I just thought that was so wild because he's 28 years old. He's only been in college for at least a year so far. And he's just starting out on this venture. Like, you know, I don't know much about education with like medical school and stuff, but it's got to be at least eight plus years, you know, another eight years. He's going to be 36 years old, just starting his career. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it just took him a while to figure out what he wanted to do in life. But 28 years old, one year in school and was studying to be a plastic surgeon. Well, it wasn't like he had any sense of urgency because he knew that his parents would take care of him. That's true, I guess. Yeah, if he always knew that he was going to be supported, then what's the rush in figuring out your life? And also keep in mind that he had three half-sisters from Joel Guy Sr.'s previous relationship, and they were all fully functioning women with Mm -hmm. families and jobs. And something I remember listening in some of the research I did that the daughters loved Lisa. They looked up to her. They thought she was such a wonderful mother. They wanted to be like her. And they really loved her like another mother. As a little girl, I watched how much Lisa loved Joel Michael. I wanted to be that mom. Joel Michael was Lisa's entire world. Most girls dream of weddings, I think. No. But I dreamed of being Lisa with a picture-perfect family, with the dad coming home at five and me having dinner. I wanted to love as strong as Lisa loved. Mm-hmm. And so they were all very close knit, but Joel Jr. was always very on the outskirts, socially awkward. There was never anything diagnosed, but he there's definitely some social issues, some maybe personality disorder issues. But mm-hmm. I was looking and looking and looking, couldn't find anything that he's diagnosed with. But there was definitely something off, <laughs> something wrong. <laughs> well, clearly, I mean, he he murdered his parents in a very gruesome way. So I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's evidence enough that. There's something wrong with it. <laughs> and back to the point where you're saying Lisa's stepdaughters idolized her. I remember reading somewhere that one of the stepdaughters mimicked like her wedding ring. Like she loved mm-hmm. her wedding ring so much that her stepdaughter like got the identical cut and everything for her own wedding ring. Like that's how much she was, they were idolizing her stepmom. Mm-hmm. They were getting the same rings basically. <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember that too. And they definitely idolized her as a mother figure too, because they would spend summers with their father and Lisa and it was like they said it was the best time of their life but i don't know what happened with joel jr i don't know (laughs) (laughs) something was missing there (laughs) something was missing for sure so like we told you guys joel senior i hate how they got the same damn name was he just like begging was joel senior begging to have another child just to get a son just so he could call him joel jr i'm like you know you already got three daughters and then you want to name the Mm -hmm. fourth child after yourself That's so common though with men. No offense, men, but that is so common. They they all want a son they can name themselves after. (laughs) So Joel Senior and Lisa Guy, and I hate. I honestly just hate their names. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! Joel Senior, Joel Junior, and then their last name is Guy. G U Y. Like, oh god, it just makes it so difficult to talk about. (laughs) It really does. Well, I in our notes I said Joel Junior. I sometimes said JJ. So maybe we should do Joel (laughs) Junior. is jj yes okay well now joel jr is now jj it's just easier to remember mm-hmm. now let's get into like the reasons why joel jr became deranged and <laughs> committed the murders of his parents joel senior and lisa his wife were planning
planning on retiring. It was around Thanksgiving, around November, and Lisa was pretty much on the edge of retirement. Like she only had a couple weeks left of work before she was actually officially retired. I will just to add on that in the reports, it said that that Monday after Thanksgiving was her last week, actually. Oh, okay. Thursday was Thanksgiving. The Monday after, uh, Lisa Guy was retiring officially. That she, that was her last week of work. At this point, they have already told JJ that they were not going to be <laughs> supporting him anymore. They were not going to be supporting him financially. They were not going to be giving him rent money, car money, or anything anymore. They're completely cutting him off and telling him that he can stand on his own two feet himself. He's 28 years old. He's a big boy. He can do it himself. Exactly. And so he obviously not being prepared at all for this panicked and that's when he started his book of premeditation his manifesto detailing how he was going to get away with it essentially and he thought he was very brilliant and a lot of people agreed that he was very intelligent very calculating but I think he definitely overestimated how brilliant he was because he (laughs) very much did not get away with it Mm. and the insurance money would amount to $500,000 and if you budget that right I mean that can last you a lifetime Mm -hmm. so that was his plan so the family was all getting together for thanksgiving and the family like the sisters and lisa and joel senior didn't think that he was going to show up because he was pissed (laughs) that he was going to get cut off but he even writes in in his his little diary if he doesn't show up it's going to look like he did it so he showed up Mm -hmm. and he was very unlike himself he was very kind and talking to everybody and social and he was hanging out with his nephews and all of the sisters were like, okay, what's going on here? This is yeah. very strange. He was. When his sisters say that he was a very intelligent and smart person, he knew, I mean, he had some things right. Going to Thanksgiving, showing them that he's having a great old time and them being like, wow, this is odd. Like, why is he like socializing and like having a great time with our family? Like, he's never like this. Him putting on this act that, oh, he's just a part of the family and like, oh, I'm just, just one of you guys. I'm here. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I'm just so glad to be, be here with you guys on Thanksgiving you know he was trying to put on this act so later on when he committed the murders it was like it wasn't me I'm totally fine I'm not upset at all about being cut off or anything Mm -hmm. yeah just ask my sisters I was so happy Mm -hmm. exactly he was looking for that alibi that little witness testimony to protect him but it didn't seem like his stepsisters really cared for him that much either no they definitely well I feel like it's the kind of relationship where you see it's very hard to see a sibling take advantage of your parents like that Mm mm-hmm and not have any hard feelings sometimes so i can i can understand that for sure yeah maybe that's just a thing where we're not parents yet so we don't see that side if i had a child i would want to do everything for them but some parents you know go a little too far where Mm -hmm. they almost enable them baby them throughout their entire adulthood and it's like you're not helping them at all in any manner i guess we could only really understand that when we are parents one day Mm because then we could both be hypocrites and we could both be like our son is 30 years old and he lives in the basement (laughs) yep (laughs) it'd be like he's my baby boy he's 50 my baby boy Okay, but also we find out that yes, this was 100% premeditated. So he knew that he was going to be doing this on around Thanksgiving time. He knew for that entire month that he was going to be cut off from his parents. So he started in early November acquiring his supplies to commit the murders. We find that on November 18th, um, he bought a timer. He bought some bleach. He also bought some extension cords. On the 19th, he then purchased the murder weapon. And then on the 21st, he bought two 45-gallon containers 
containers. And his thinking was that, oh, like if I space it out enough, nobody will ever catch on that I committed these acts. Also, we find out that most of these transactions he was doing at like Walmarts and he was paying in cash only. So there was no credit mm-hmm. card transactions or history, primarily using self-checkouts to buy the supplies. And especially down south, no offense to any of our southern listeners, but buying a knife at Walmart, he probably didn't have to go through many oops or checks or anything. Yeah. <laughs> What he did here kind of reminds me of that scene in Fifty Shades of Grey when (laughs) Christian Grey is buying his BDSM stuff and he buys like rope and zip ties and stuff like that. And Anastasia's just like, what is going on here? And so all I think about is is that scene in Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, it's relevant. Yeah, it's it's relevant. It's the same kind of thing. But my only thing here is when everything comes out that they're missing, obviously he's going to be a suspect. They start looking at tapes, trying to figure out where he was. They're going to see that he's at Walmart buying a knife on this day. He's going to see he's buying 45-gallon tubs on this day. And they're going to be asking him questions. What was he thinking that his response was for going to be to why he was buying a knife, why he was buying bleach and chemicals? I don't understand his thought process behind spacing it out. I don't think it would have mattered at all if he just bought all this stuff at one time. I know, because they also, the days were close enough. I mean, it was, what, a couple of days difference and maybe he forgot security cameras existed i don't know <laughs> <laughs> and then this was recent too this is 2016 24 7 surveillance you know what maybe if he went just once maybe the surveillance cameras weren't working that day he would have got away with it but mm-hmm. instead he spaced it out for four days which gave time for it to fix the cameras <laughs> <laughs> He didn't think of everything, even though he thought he did. He thought he did. He's a genius, though. (laughs) He definitely thought so. Okay, so like we said, that his plan was basically to kill his parents, collect the insurance money, which he figured was about $500,000, which I'm pretty sure was just Lisa's insurance policy. They only mentioned it was Lisa's insurance policy. I don't know what happened to Joel's. I don't know if he even had one. JJ knew that in order to get this money, both of them had to be dead or missing in order for this insurance money to go to him. $500,000 thousand dollars is a nice amount is it worth killing your parents for 99 percent of us would say it's not worth it <laughs> oh i thought you were thinking about it you're oh. like hmm, maybe <laughs> <laughs> Gotcha. You can search on the internet. There are pages of his manifesto and it's pretty intense to read. It's very calculated. It's bullet points. There's no emotion behind it. Like Mm -hmm. some of the things he says is bring a blender and food grinder to grind meat. Meat referring to his parents. Yes. Flushing chunks down the toilet. Mm -hmm. Chunks. His parents. He was thinking about a trash compactor and he thought of turning up the heat in the house to speed up the decomposition process. Process and thinking about wiping DNA, how he was mm-hmm. going to essentially put chemicals in these 45 gallon bins that he bought at the Walmart and dissolving the bodies that way. It's just very calculated, measured out, very soulless and lifeless. And it's hard to read it and think of when he says words like chunks and meat and pieces that he's talking about his own parents. You know, that's like basically a sociopath. There's no emotion behind their actions they don't care how anybody else feels it's all about them and how they feel and how they're going to get by so him saying flushing chunks down the toilet this is like what investigators want the most like if every crime had somebody like jj committing them like you know how fastly these court processes would be if everybody was like (laughs) jj and just left their like diaries of how they're going to kill their parents just hanging around at the crime scene (laughs) 
Oh, yeah. We'll get into that. How the police found the crime scene. It does not show that he's intelligent the way that things occurred. That's where they say he's like intelligent because this was all premeditated. There are terms in this like diary that he wrote, his manifesto. There's like specific chemicals that he was buying just to break down the bone particles and use this combination of chemicals in order to break down the proteins in the bone or the tissue. He knew what he was doing. He knew the processes of disposing of the bodies. The way he just went about it was totally idiotic, clearly. I mean, he didn't get away with it. So (laughs) he might have been smart in some ways, but getting away with murder was not one of them. Mm -mm. I said this in our notes, but to make another cultural reference, the way he (laughs) plans to dispose of the bodies reminds me of, I don't know how many people have seen it, Breaking Bad, where Mm. in the first season, I think we watched it together freshman year of college. Actually, I wasn't included in that watching. Oh, sorry. That was (laughs) pre-you. Sorry. Well, we didn't finish it, so you didn't miss out. And, you know, he's framed as this genius scientist, and that's how he disposes of the bodies. And there's this really interesting cultural thinking around the main character of Breaking Bad, Walter White, where he's like this anti-hero and he's brilliant and all these pre-pubescent or pubescent guys look up to him. But really it's a story about a man losing his humanity and spiraling into madness, but he's somehow idolized. And I'm wondering if somehow JJ kind of felt that way about himself, like he's this genius Mm -hmm. and everything. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I mean, I don't know much about Breaking Bad because I wasn't included in those watchings, but... That seems to be a trend where these sociopaths like idolize these people and like mass shootings. A lot of these mass shooters mm-hmm. like idolize like video games. Is that controversial? But it's true. I mean, these video games that are portraying you as a first person shooter, you're just killing people, reviving, and then you kill them again. Some of these people <laughs> are sociopathic enough to actually perform those acts in real life. So, well, I mean, yeah, and de- be desensitized to it. I mean, and yeah. that's not everybody as a gamer girl okay i take offense (laughs) but but there are some people you know that like sociopaths that can't necessarily discern reality truth and you know this could have been a little game for some people Mm -hmm. for maybe even jj a lot of the people that do these acts a lot of them have no remorse they have no emotion they don't care what they did till 50 years later they're rotting in prison then then they're like maybe i shouldn't have done that but and it's more about remorse for getting caught rather than remorse for the action too yeah because yes a lot of times these people they don't care if they get caught because again that just gives them more recognition for the acts that they did more people see it more people talk about it like us we're literally talking about this jj's probably listening to this in prison and probably nutting that we're talking about him you know like (laughs) even those little things like not even just like the killing of his parents got him off the trials got him off us talking about them got them off just having a wikipedia page we don't have Mm -hmm. a wikipedia page about us he has one because he committed a gruesome act some of these people like just idol that notoriety so much that Mm. they don't care what they have to do to get it. Mm -hmm. I think about Joe Exotic and how he loves all the attention he got from his Netflix (laughs) documentary. Wow. Oh my God. You're bringing back memories. That was like this time last year. Yeah. When that happened. When quarantine began. Wow. Those were like good times. I like really enjoyed them actually. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was fun at first. Uh, It was, yeah. Getting old. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I literally just woke up and came downstairs and laid on the couch and watched Netflix for, like, months. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) No complaints over here. (laughs) 
So after Thanksgiving and all the sisters had left, Joel Jr., JJ, ended up staying the weekend, which was common. He had like his own room. He had his own drawers with clothes and everything. And he would hang out there sometimes. So there was no thought about that. But on Saturday, the weekend after Thanksgiving on the 26th was the day that JJ decided was the day. So word has it that he sent his mother off to get his favorite ice cream at Walmart so she would be out of the house so that he would have the chance to kill his father in private. So his father's working out on the machines in the workout exercise room. So he's distracted. So JJ comes up behind him with his murder weapon, the knife that he bought at Walmart. He stabs him 42 times and his father fought back. So he has cuts all over his hands, but JJ was at the advantage because he came up from behind. The exercise room is in complete disarray. There's blood everywhere. The blinds are torn off the Mm. window. Exercise machines are flipped over. And for some reason that we have not been able to figure out, he cut off his father's hands. Yes. His father's hands are just sitting in the exercise room. (laughs) Yep. Detached from his body. Yep. And so then Lisa comes home through the foyer with her groceries. JJ is waiting there and he stabs his mother 31 times and she fights back too. She broke nine ribs in the struggle to survive, but he ends up overpowering her and she died in the foyer. So now comes his plan of disposal. He dismembers the bodies. First, he cuts off the legs and heads of his parents. He ends up putting Lisa Guy's head in like a spaghetti pot and starts cooking it on the stove. Not to eat. Okay, I don't want, it's not there. It's for (laughs) solving purposes. And he puts the torsos and the limbs in those chemical bucket bins that he has. And he locks the family dog, Jake, who is like another child to leave in the room with no water. He cranks up the heat to 90 and he decides that he needs to take care of his wounds. So he goes to Walmart, the Walmart that Lisa was just at a few hours prior to get medical supplies to help himself to kind of cover up that he was there. He drives all the way back to Baton Rouge, Louisiana and gets his wounds treated there. Yes. All right, Megan, that was, that was a lot to take in. So guys, let's like go into that a little bit. Okay. Yes. Yes. (laughs) We have a lot to unpack here. Okay. Let's start with the 42 and the 31 sharp force injuries on his parents. These were not little like, oh, stab you. Oh, did that hurt? Sorry. These were like ripping through flesh, Mm. like cutting organs, massive holes in your body kind of stab wounds. These were not your little, oh, oh, accidentally nicked (laughs) you. Nicked you. He was purposefully, maliciously, just imagining this crime scene is unimaginable. Imagining this crime scene is unimaginable. <laughs> and unimaginable, Megan. <laughs> It's, I, I can't even imagine it. I can't even imagine it, but it's unimaginable. I literally just like thinking about that, thinking about what he was doing at this time, what he was thinking, mm. what his mom was thinking as she brought in like a full carload of groceries, three cases of Michelob Ultra, just <laughs> sitting on the foyer floor. The f- groceries were there the entire time. And you know what? I mean, okay, I know that me and you like to do all the groceries in the, mm-hmm. you know, take all the groceries at once. You know, you do it or you die. Literally, Lisa died. 
there was no way she carried three cases of the Michelob Ultra and all these groceries into the house at one time. Did she bring in a batch and was like, honey, help me. And then Joel Sr. never came down. Mm -hmm. And then she brought in another load and she was like, honey, come help me. And then she brought in the final load from the car and then he attacked her. Like, why did he wait so long to attack her? There are so many questions here. (laughs) Well, I remember there's last seen footage of her on the 26th in that Walmart coming out with her groceries. That's the last time she was seen. Yeah. Three cases. So there's no way that a woman would have been able to do that all in one trip. There is no way. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So he was waiting for her to bring in all of the groceries. Interest- he was just cowering so. in the corner or something. Yes. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. She must have made two or three trips to get into the damn house. Where was he? Was he waiting at the top of the stairs? Like, I don't understand what was going on here. Well, maybe he was thinking, oh, if they left groceries in the car, it's going to look suspicious. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he was a genius, so he had everything planned out. Mm -hmm. He was a genius. (laughs) Okay, so we also find out that Lisa's head is in the stockpot for reasons unknown because Joel Sr.'s head is not in a stockpot. We also discover that the two bins in in the master bathroom the 45 gallon totes that he bought all of the limbs of the bodies are in there but for some reason Joel Sr.'s hands are in the exercise room still and Lisa's head's in a sock pot so we don't get a reason why he did this it is equally messed up (laughs) yeah and he also just leaves the groceries there the entire time he doesn't pick them up I don't know I mean he he left the place a complete mess Mm -hmm. like I'm assuming that he was going to at his apartment wait out the decomposition process and then come back but he left a backpack with his journal there he left clothes there he left the groceries spread out he left the dog barking in the room he left all the evidence yep so he went to like megan said earlier he went to walmart directly after the killings to buy medical supplies and in the bandage aisle to fix his own (laughs) wounds the big gouges and knife slices on his hands from his tussle with his father but then he also also drives back to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where his apartment is, and he goes to a student clinic where he gets his wounds like professionally stitched up and taken care of. And he stays at his apartment in Louisiana. And from what we know, he has he never returned back to the home. And this is all within one or two days. Right, because we end up on the 28th Monday. Lisa, it's Lisa's last week at work, but she was very professional, cared about her company, all that jazz, and her boss was like it's very unlike her to not show up or call like I know she's not ditching even though this is her last week Mm -hmm. so her boss ended up calling the police and asking for a welfare check I think that JJ did not anticipate this because he cannot understand people caring for others I think (laughs) it did not occur to him that people care about Lisa and Joel Sr that they would be worried about their whereabouts when they didn't show up I think that's 100% correct like that was in his plan that somebody was going to call literally he did it on Saturday and on Monday somebody's already calling about a welfare check like I don't think he ever even thought that would happen I do find it just for me personally I think that's odd for a boss to be like oh like Lisa never showed up today so I'm gonna call the police to have the police go to her house do we get any notification that her boss called Joel Sr. did she call did she call JJ did she call her stepdaughters we only get the you know 
we only hear that her boss was like, she didn't show up today, so I'm calling the police. Like, I don't think I would do that. Would you do that, Megan? I feel like I would maybe even go drive by myself and make sure that she was okay if she wasn't answering and her husband mm-hmm. wasn't answering. Police seem like such a dramatic leap. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Even it was her last week of work. So if I was her boss, I'd be like, oh, it's her last week of work. So maybe she was, she don't show up today. Maybe she'll be in tomorrow. Like I would wait a day or two. You know, I wouldn't be like, fucking 911, go to this house right now. There's something wrong. Like I wouldn't have that immediate thought. But then it turned out she was right. So, I mean, we can't fault her too much. <laughs> Thank God she did because she was 100% right. So we get the police. They're showing up to the house. <laughs> This is body cam video from November 2016. Worn by a Knox County Sheriff's officer as he goes inside the Guy family home on Golden View Lane. They're following up on a welfare check. They announce themselves and get no answer. Moving through the house, they find signs of a crime scene unfold before their eyes. On Monday, two days after the murders happened, again, JJ is not there. He is back at his apartment in Baton Rouge, where he stayed to get his his wounds taken care of. And the police go to the house, and they knock on the doors. They don't get a response from anybody. They can hear Jake, the family dog, howling and barking. And they go around to the back of the house, and they notice that the doorknob on the back door is missing. So from the police reports, they look through the doorknob, and they say that from the little hole in the doorknob, they can sense the heat coming out from the house because before JJ left, he sent the temperature in the in the house to 90 degrees and he also had a bunch of like personal little portable heaters also mm-hmm. blasting on the maximum setting. So the police say they could feel the heat coming out from the doorknob that was missing and they could also see the groceries on the ground. Also, all the cars are in the driveway. So it's like the family should be here. There's evidence showing that they should be inside. Uh, so what's going on here? So they find that this is enough grounds to gain access to the house. So they are looking around and the car is unlocked. One of the cars is unlocked and has a garage button. So they use that to open the garage and they enter the house through the garage opening. As soon as they enter, they are just hit with the heat and (laughs) it enters into the kitchen. So they see the stock pot on the stove, but they don't open it quite yet. They again see the groceries in the foyer. They go upstairs at the end of the hall's exercise room and they just see a pair of hands chilling there and they're like oh shit this is not what we expected so they keep investigating the dog is in one of the bedrooms so they let the dog out he's very tired and thirsty but he's rescued and survives his name was jake everyone like when we were doing research everyone was like lisa guy dog (laughs) like lisa and joel senior dog like where's the dog the dog did the dog make it (laughs) the dog made it the dog he is okay he was rescued so then they see from the master bedroom in the bathroom there are these two the two 45 gallons and it's human remains and they're like oh shit (laughs) you know they're seeing the blood everywhere in the exercise room so they leave and they call for backup and so backup comes and that's when they discover the head Lisa's head (sighs) in the stock pot and they go into JJ's room and find he has a backpack in there 
handed to them on a silver platter is his manifesto, his book of premeditation, lining out all the details, everything he did. There's no question. <laughs> also, one of the things they find is the murder weapon in the kitchen sink where oh, right. the bodies are found in the 45-gallon tubs. Now, <laughs> again, like I was saying earlier, if every murder was like this one that JJ committed, it would be so much easier. The court processes would not take as long. We wouldn't be spending as much taxpayer money holding JJ's <laughs> ass in prison for four years before he went to jail. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you guys, if you go on YouTube, you can literally can look up the body cam footage of when the police first go in. Like, the police were going in for a welfare check. They did not expect to see what they saw when they entered this house. I don't want to say it's funny, but it is funny in some, some context that they're in there for a welfare check. Entire demeanor and, like, just how they're acting on the job. I don't know how to explain it. But it's like they're yelling. They're yelling for the family, like, Sheriff's County of wherever. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, shit okay they're like do not touch anything this is like fucked up like we got to get out of here and they just like exit the house and that's it they call for backup and then forensics takes it from there and i'm pretty sure it was from the body cam footage you see four officers go in there and then you see from the body cam footage four officers exiting and all of their faces are just like they can't even believe what they just saw like imagine if you're a rookie cop no you've been doing traffic stops and yeah pulling over non-inspected cars or something and then you walk into this that's the thing well majority i'm sure i mean i'm not in the police department but for probably a lot of welfare checks they probably send the rookie because it's just a knock on the door and saying oh yeah somebody was worried about you and I'm just here to check on you a lot of the times it's like nothing wrong <laughs> you don't expect to see this mm-hmm. on a welfare check yeah pretty insane and so <laughs> since it's so open and shut that tuesday <laughs> on the 29th they go to louisiana and arrest Joel Jr. And when they arrest him, they find a meat grinder in his car trunk. Yep. If there was a competition for incriminating yourself, (laughs) JJ, congratulations, you've won. Yep. JJ (laughs) would win 100%. (laughs) He did the murders on Saturday. And by Tuesday, he was already taken into custody. The police had enough evidence to like sentence him away for life. You know, they had his diary. They had his manifesto. There was still blood everywhere in this house because dumbass over here stabbed his parents over 70 times with a knife there's blood everywhere (laughs) like how do you clean blood off the carpet there's gonna be little blood splatters everywhere in the house i don't know what his thinking was of how he was gonna get away with this or why he thought his mom's last week of work was the best time to do this you know he could have waited one more week and her boss would have never have called you know what i'm Mm -hmm. saying well and i'm just continuously flabbergasted that he just left everything out everything not even like oh i'll just secure it in case someone comes nope left everything out yeah like how much time did he think he had apparently two days was not enough you know two days does seem pretty quick (laughs) yes and jj's defense two days was very fast boy he was just like taking his damn time to like figure things out here so much for all his plans yeah so next we move into the court proceedings which is pretty obvious of what's going to happen here but it did take four years jj to finally be sentenced we find that uh it was very clear that jj did it and he showed no remorse and no emotion during the trials even when his stepsisters were on the stand giving their testimonies he didn't care one bit of sociopathic tendencies he didn't care about their feelings or how they felt about their parents he was just doing what he had to do for himself and he had no remorse for anything we see a lot i feel like in the media and also latest with the watts family murders and our episodes on that that the family they're always like oh we forgive you we'll move forward you know don't kill him all this and the sister 
sisters were the exact opposite. My kid's childhood was taken away. I am angry for my dreams being destroyed. But, I, but I'm not the only one that's been affected. This has impacted my kids, and for that, I will never be able to forgive. I rest easy knowing that God is okay with my choice not to, to forgive someone that has murdered my parents. I had to spend the last four years saving my kid's soul, their spirits, and their hearts. I have spent the last four years cleaning up a mess. No one will ever know what it's like to have to be a child having to hear that your grandmother's head was cooking in a pot. They're like, oh, damn, you won't kill him? Why won't you do the death penalty? When? <laughs> so like, okay, if you won't, then put him in a communal space where people will bully him for being a weirdo and where he'll be miserable. We want him to be miserable. Yep. <laughs> we do not forgive him. We'll see you in hell, motherfucker. <laughs> Which JJ had to counter for that because he is smart. He knows what he's doing. He basically wrote letters saying that he had dreams about about gouging out his cellmate's eyes with his own fingers and he doesn't feel that he should be in communal spaces he don't feel that he should be given the right to be able to sleep next to somebody that's unconscious because he's having these dreams that he's going to gouge out somebody's eyes basically he's just trying to get his own cell <laughs> And also that's why he himself wanted the death penalty because he knew then he would have a cell by himself on death row. Mm -hmm. Like his goal shifted very quickly and he was willing to do whatever it took so that he could at least live comfortably in prison. <laughs> I'm going to correlate this to like college. Could you imagine what we could go through in order to claim that we needed a room by ourselves? <laughs> like, like I can't deal with four people. I need a room by myself. Like that wasn't a good enough excuse. You could just go through extremes to get your own room like JJ did to get his own cell. I guess you should have said that you were going to gouge out your roommate's eyes. Then <laughs> <laughs> maybe they would have, well, maybe they would have given you jail time. They yep. would not have given you your own <laughs> dorm room. So also during these trials, it's the first time we learn of one of JJ's only friends. His name is Michael McCracken, which <laughs> me and Megan have determined that they are secret lovers. <laughs> <laughs> we ship it. <laughs> <laughs> we ship what's their ship name can we come up with something um jekyll jekyll mole <laughs> oh my god jj if you're hearing this we know what you did <laughs> <laughs> oh my god team mole <laughs> <laughs> Paul. But we see that Michael McCracken comes up to testify for what reason? I don't really know why. What's the purpose of him? It doesn't Probably matter. Probably like a, a credit to his character or something. One of those. Yeah. But we see when Michael McCracken goes on the stand to testify, Joel's entire demeanor, he's actually showing some emotion. He can't even watch when Michael is testifying. He turns away. And you know, a lot of people say that there was some connection there. <laughs> yeah. And there's this really interesting dialogue between them when there's a phone call in between them when JJ's in prison and he's talking to Michael and he's like just consider me dead and move on with your life I genuinely want you to be happy and McCracken's like it hurts my heart you've been my best friend my entire adult life I'm just angry and confused I'm mourning you like you're dead because you know the one I knew isn't you and I miss you and, and JJ goes I think about you all the time you're the only good thing in my life Guy called him from the jail <laughs> I don't. It's taking everything I have to 
that Joel Guy Jr. sounds distressed about his situation. And I'm like, the bells are ringing. The wedding bells are ringing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's pretty obvious. And when he dropped out of LSU, he kind of pulled away from everyone, even McCracken. So they kind of had a falling out, but it seemed like they were always very close and thinking of each other. Yeah, I think that just adds to the case even more. Like, mm-hmm. yes, this was crazy. He dismembered his parents' bodies, but there's like a secret love interest and I'm here for the conspiracy. And he's the only one he showed emotion to. Like, I feel like yes. that says a lot. Okay, now they can have like a love is blind moment like on Netflix when they're meeting for the first time between a wall. Now mm-hmm. it's like forever they're going to be meeting between a wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, w- I hope he gets conjugal visits. <laughs> you know, yeah, even though it was really fucked up what he did, I really hope he finds love with Michael. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> so finally, just recently in October of 2020, it's so funny. If you guys look up the picture of JJ, he's the most fugly looking person ever. <laughs> Maybe that's why he wanted to be a plastic surgeon. <laughs> his eyes are bulging from his head. Oh, like crazy bulge. Like I am crazy. <laughs> Like, I'm crazy bulge. And he's got that stupid fucking face shield on. Like, not a mask. He's got the face shield on. Well, I have a theory about why they need the face shield. Because they probably want to see his reactions. Yeah, I bet. Because the jury Mm -hmm. needs to see, like, the reaction. Like, in the Casey Anthony case, Mm -hmm. a face says a lot. The way you react to things. Honestly, he could have had a paper bag over his head. (laughs) And I didn't need to see how he was reacting to these things. He was guilty, Mm -hmm. 100%. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But finally... After four years, we get JJ was sentenced for two consecutive life sentences and was not eligible for parole for 130 years. So basically, he's dying in prison. (laughs) I just read the part about where you said he would be a wizard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I said, unless he's a wizard, he will die in prison. He was found guilty on two counts of first-degree murder, three counts of felony murder, and two counts of abuse of a corpse. Yeah, we will never see JJ ever again. And he won't see the light of day. I mean, in the end, he kind of got what he wanted. He has his meals and everything paid for. And And that's so... I was thinking about that too. I was like, he literally went from age 28 being taken care of to age 33 being taken care of by the government. He has nothing to worry about for his entire life, and he is probably loving that. And maybe that was his grand plan all along. Maybe. Like the genius yeah. he is. Maybe that's the manifesto in his diary that we never saw where like <laughs> if shit hits the fan, I'm still going to be covered. I'm going to be taken care of in prison. Mm-hmm. He knew what he was doing to get his own cell. He wanted to go on death row because he knew he would be in solitary confinement. And if he was in any communal space that he would probably be murdered. That's not uncommon in prison to be killed. At that point, nobody really cares. <laughs> or at least get the shit kicked out of him because he was a weirdo like his yeah. sisters wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I think that wraps it up, Megan. I think we have finished the gruesome dismembering of Joel and Lisa Guy. Yes, it was intense and crazy and I'm happy to make it through, but it was just so crazy. It was interesting. (laughs) I think this is one of the more fucked up cases we've done so far. Pretty, pretty bad. (laughs) Yes, this will be hard to top if we can (laughs) 
But guys, so if you guys are loving the content we are giving you, be sure to follow us on Instagram to be kept up with what we are posting next. Next week, I don't think we have the stomach to do another case like this. So we're probably going to take it a little bit easy next week and just do a little simple whodunit or something. Mm -hmm. But we thank you guys so much for joining us on this week's episode. We hope to see you guys next week. We'll see you next time. Where where crime crime is is always always on tap. tap. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.